Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Scherba, and today I'm extremely excited to be sitting down with Casey Chipwadia, who's the founder and CEO of Athlete Foundry, a US Navy sailor, and formerly a human spaceflight engineer for NASA. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Why don't we jump right into it? Can you take us through your career journey leading up to today? Sure. Wow. That's a great question. Great to be on the podcast. Uh, Peter, excellent to talk to. I love of course. having these conversations. Um, and, uh, and of course, by asking me to, to go over uh, my background, uh, how many hours do we have? I'm kidding. Uh, so I will I will sus- try to provide you a succinct story because it's it's uh, a few moments of excitement followed by a lot of boredom probably. But um, the story certainly is important in my life as it certainly had lots of twists and turns, eventually leading to where I am at today, um, which is uh, as CEO and founder of a, a ed tech company called Athlete Foundry. So if we go back in time. Way back to when I was six. Is that far? Is that far enough? Uh, so when I was six, that's great. That's perfect. I, love I wanted it. Uh, to be an astronaut. That was my life's dream. Uh, and believe it or not, you know, many kids have those dreams. And of course, as kids, they change their mind every few minutes. Well, one day is an astronaut. One day is a firefighter. One day is uh, something else. Whatever that may be, I stuck with it. Uh, I, I was. I'm. I've got a couple of brain cells, uh, which is good, and uh, three. <laughs> so I have a tiebreaker. But one thing I am certainly. Uh, known for is that I'm stubborn. Uh, once I make my mind up, uh, I, I stick with it and I execute and give everything that I have uh, to make that thing happen. And, uh, and you're either going to help me or you're going to uh, get out of my way. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, since I made that, that decision at six, I stuck with it. Uh, everything I did from that point forward, every decision, every breath, every action was towards how do I get from here to to where I, where I want to get to in my goal and my objective of being an astronaut. What does that path look like? And, and the first concept of a, a roadmap, you know, does one exist? How do I navigate it? Who do I ask, uh, et cetera? Uh, did know one didn't exist. And quite frankly, uh, one still does not exist today, but I continue to do my own research. I got older, you know, middle school, high school, continue to have stronger passion to be an astronaut. And, and the logical conclusion someone may come to is, oh, you got to work at NASA or be an astronaut. You've got to work at NASA. Um, yeah. It's actually counterintuitive. And you'll see in a moment why that's, it's unfortunate. It should not be that way, but it is. Uh, but uh, I pursued uh, that por- portion of it, realizing, of course, I need to get to the mothership, the mothership being NASA. Right. Um, there are 10 NASA centers across America. Each one is uh, mandated to fulfill a certain function of of uh, space and science for America. They're not all the same. So they can't walk into a Walmart. They're all the same. Um, they're different. So human spaceflight headquarters is actually in Houston, Johnson Space Center. So I knew immediately that I grew up in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area um, in the pretty tough neighborhood and grateful that I made it out. That's another portion of my story that we can certainly get into is very, sure, yeah. uh, challenging times, um, uh, you know, lower income area that uh, just grateful that uh, we're able to, to get out um, uh, from that uh, environment in a safe 
a healthy way, but it was challenging. And, uh, and I, perhaps that is what led me to have a stronger passion to, to work at NASA because I, I knew that I wanted to do something bigger and better and purpose yeah. in my life. Um, my dad is U.S. military army when, um, you know, when he immigrated here from India, um, uh, right, right before I was born, I was born in India, came here when I was two. Uh, I knew the military was in me because of him. So I higher right. purpose and service was, was there. Um, uh, I just thought the NASA was my path to higher purpose and service. So, uh, as I, uh, continued to get older, I actually began to research, Every astronaut in American history uh, began to create a map, um, tried to find patterns, uh, tried to find the aha moment maybe of of some unique in, you know inside baseball tip that I could find the research. Yeah. And it as I did more and more of it, I began to realize there was really no pattern sticking out. That was that was this aha. There was common stuff, but nothing that was un, unusual or unique. Um, and I scratched in my head going, what's going on here? Why is there nothing popping out? And of course, you know, I was young and foolish and I thought, wow, okay, doesn't matter, whatever it is, let's just continue with this path. But I just couldn't figure that it was nothing there that was popping out. So I of course continued to, uh, pursue to work at NASA and I went to college in California. Um, and then I began to, uh, chart a path to Houston, to Johnson space. Cause I knew that's where I wanted to work. So I began to pl- apply for internships there. Um, right. and, uh, as I, it's, you know, interesting story is that as I called, it doesn't exist anymore today, which is good. But at the time when I called Johnson space center, I said, Hey, I, I'm an undergraduate student. I go to this college. Uh, I, I went to undergraduate at Cal Poly in California, in central California. Uh, and I said, I'm really interested to apply for this internship. Could you please uh, send me an application? They said, uh, "Where do you live?" I said, "California." Oh yeah, no, no, we we can't we can't poach you. Uh, you have to go apply to this other NASA center that's in California. There's two of them: one at NASA Ames Research Center in the near the San Francisco Bay Area, and the other one is down in LA at Jet Propulsion Lab. I said, "But they do something different." I want to come to Houston because I want to be part of human spaceflight. No, I'm sorry, we can't. I called them. I think 25 times. They finally gave me an application. They got. Um, sick and tired of me calling. They thought I'd go away. And of course, I said earlier that I'm stubborn. So uh, I continued to call them after I applied my, uh, sent in my application. I said, did you make a decision for an interview? Uh, and I think they just kept kicking the can down the road, thinking I'd go away. Yeah. And I didn't. Finally, they said, ah, you know, let's just interview this guy and, and then tell him no, I guess. So they interviewed me. Um, and of course, I continued to pester them uh, after the interview. Did you make a decision? Uh, eventually I think they just really thought I was never going to go away. And so they said, okay, we'll <laughs> let this guy in. So they, I was uh, grateful. One of the best exciting days of my life to say, yes, I got an internship, uh, which was a very key moment, uh, in my life. Certainly, um, interned at NASA Johnson space center, finished my undergraduate, uh, moved to Houston. Um, and in fact, it was at a time critical in the U S budget for the first time in decades where there was a significant budget um, back and forth between the president and Congress. Uh, and in fact, the government shut down for a significant amount of time, right when I graduated, not the best time. Of course. So uh, what normally would have been a, um, a job offer uh, to work uh, turned into be a very painful delay of almost three months. 
that is just unheard of, of hiring freeze because this uncertainty. And I was, uh, I'd worked incredibly hard. Um, the way that internships at NASA work is you work one semester uh, at NASA and then you go back to school one semester and you go back and forth. So it's not just one, one and done. They do have right. that program, but I was in the repetitive program. So I put a tremendous amount of time, effort, energy, um, and love into, uh, into NASA. And I put all my eggs in the basket, moved literally to Houston, packed up my car, moved to Houston, despite the decision not being made. So I bunked up with a friend of mine, uh, you know, I had some great friends that took, helped me out. I did menial jobs, uh, cutting grass, painting, and trying to make the, yeah. you know, make the bills get paid until a decision was made. And they said, no worries, Casey, you are number one on our list. Uh, you will get the job. Um, and so I said, I'll, I'll patiently wait. Uh, three months later, I get the phone call. I did not get it. And so you can imagine the, that day was very, very rough for me. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you, you told me I'm the number one on the list. What happened? Um, and it turned out that, you know, they had to, um, there was another individual that was um, related to uh, a, another special individual uh, that worked at NASA. And so um, I didn't, I got the boot uh, because of that relationship. And, uh, and I get it. I understand that that, that stuff happens. Um, but it was, it was just unfortunate. So they were very apologetic to me, my boss at the time, um, you know, recognizing what had happened and said, but Hey, Casey, um, you know, we're really, really sorry, but there's another path for you. There's, uh, if you want to continue to intern as a grad student, and I had always wanted to go to grad school. So I immediately yeah. began scrambling to say where, which college in Houston will let me in quickly. Um, and was able yeah. to get into university of Houston. I continued as an intern. Uh, at NASA, uh, again, because that stubborn side, I wasn't going away. What other path is there? Always trying to find another path. And uh, at the end of that, I was fortunate uh, that I did pick up the job uh, at the conclusion of grad school and began my full-time uh, journey at NASA. Sort of fast forward a little bit of you know, 20 years at NASA, um, having supported 50 space shuttle missions, very, very privileged to have done that, uh, including what I call the unfortunate honor of being part of the Space Shuttle Columbia Accident Investigation Team when we lost the entire crew in 2003, where the shuttle broke up on its way home, uh, was a very life-changing moment uh, for me and almost you know the entire NASA team, and quite frankly, the nation. Uh, it was pretty significant, but honored to be part of that team to really try to understand what had happened, uh, what did the crew go through, and how do we get back on the road to flying? You know, we, it took us about two and a half years, almost three to return to flight, uh, but we got there and that was uh, rough times, but we were able to do that. And, uh, parallel to that, um, you know, I was able to find a path to serve in the military because that was still scratching at me and, uh, was fortunate through some great mentors and friends, um, who, uh, suggested that I apply to the Navy after my graduate degree and, and, uh, and uh, get commissioned as an officer in the Navy in that path. And I did. Um, it took a couple of years of applications, but I finally uh, got that great call that I was selected for commission in, in the Navy. And that began my military career, uh, which include it uh, now 23, 24 years in the running, actually still in the reserves. Yeah. Uh, that included 
active time and reserve time combined, a couple deployments, uh, one to Iraq, uh, 12 months in Iraq, and then 15 months, uh, sorry, 15 months in Iraq and 12 months in Afghanistan. So uh, they themselves uh, were pretty life-changing. In fact, it was my deployment to Iraq that fundamentally changed, I believe, the course of my life, you know, having gone through um, several occasions of coming close to not coming home makes one realize yeah. um, what really is my purpose on earth? What is, why was I put on earth? What is that big thing that I'm destined to do? And I believe I really was and am destined to make a big difference and impact across uh, America. Uh, that was, I thought that was the astronaut path, but maybe yeah. uh, I had to be patient and open for the first time that maybe it wasn't, you know, even though I was, I was just a, um, uh, a very determined that the astronaut path was it. Uh, but I had to finally, for the first time, realize maybe that may was not the path. And, and maybe it was something else. And I had to start to go on this discovery. So I got back from Iraq, um, really did a lot of self-reflection and um, was open to exploring what this other thing was perhaps. Well, a year later, I got redeployed to Afghanistan, had some tough uh, moments there as well. But coming th halfway through that deployment, I got this phone call of a lifetime, which I would have gotten uh, in, the, uh, uh, I got an email, I apologize, an email of a, of a lifetime, which would have been a phone call in the States. But is that I made it to the final round of astronaut interviews. Um, you know, throughout that time, I continued to apply every two to three years. So I kept throwing my application in. And uh, I got that email that said, you've made it to the final round, which is uh, about 6,500 applicants that year, 2012, 2011. Um, and uh, 120 are invited for a week-long interview. Uh, that's the, the final round. Um, yeah. So incredibly grateful. Had to go from a combat zone to the interview of your lifetime, back to combat zone in 10 days. You know, just the unbelievable mental journey that just that process is a chapter of a book when I write was yeah. phenomenal to the planes, trains, and automobile journey. You know, you can't just walk down to an airport in, in war and say, um, I'd like to go home a uh, little bit, a little bit more of a couple more steps involved. <laughs> yeah. So finally made it out, got to the interview. First time in my life, got a chance to peek behind the curtain of all the decades of research. What I discovered was great people. I have friends that are astronauts. They're, they mean well. But the process hadn't changed in five decades, 50 years. You know, it's outdated, irrelevant, and antiquated, um, uh, in my opinion, uh, in my humble opinion. And, and uh, again, I have great friends. I know the intentions are well. Uh, but when a, you know, think of an HR process in any company that doesn't evolve with time in a substantial way, becomes irrelevant. The only place you can get away with it is the government. Well, that, that's what they've done you know, they can, over time, they have sort of tweaked things here and there in the process and given the appearance of change, but it's simply just an appearance of change, not really a substance of change, unfortunately. I didn't make it, of course, I wouldn't be probably talking to you here today, uh, but I'm grateful that I made it to that final round that a tiny fraction of humans uh, in history have ever gone through. And so really fortunate, have made great friends as part of my class of 20 or so that we went through in that group. Uh, we are still connected. Uh, in fact, uh, an individual from my group did make it. Uh, grateful for him, of course. Um, but it made me angry. 
that process and angry in a way that uh, I was frustrated with the broken process. Why was it so right. broken, full of inequities um, and, and unfair? Uh, and I'm not asking for, uh, you know, a, 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 a trophy for everybody concept, um, but it's, you know, make it transparent, open and clear what is required and then, and then let us go execute that. Uh, but it's not that process, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so I, there's two things in life, uh, I believe that, that, that makes the world around us. One is human made. The other one is physics based. You can't challenge physics. Well, you can try, but everything else you can challenge because it's, you know, we love to put barriers in front of us. Right. Think of processes at work, you know, whether it's a requesting access to an account, getting an email, if you're a new person at a company, uh, getting onboarded, right? There's all these forms. We love creating all these forms and processes and steps. And, and some of those are certainly necessary, but over time, we just tend to add more on top of another on top of another. Right. And instead of asking, why are we adding so many barriers in front of people? It prevents progress. So to me, that represented this this journey of being an astronaut was the the lack of transparency, the fact that it hadn't changed in 50 years. Uh, it's antiquated. It doesn't really um, maximize um, the um, in today's social, economic, and social understanding of of candidates in a true sense of what NASA needs. Um, so I became frustrated, uh, realized that I needed to help channel that frustration in a way to solve another problem in society because I was yeah. determined that I was here destined for something bigger. So uh, as I began uh, to really think about it, I talked to a lot of veteran CEOs, taught, a lot, taught, taught to a lot of peers, um, starters, uh, founders. And over time, I had this, eventually I had this aha moment. You know, I wanted to connect three dots in my head. Uh, dot one was my compassion for kids. I love talking to kids, um, whether it's my NASA hat or my Navy hat. I talk to kids often, elementary, middle, high school. And Peter, you know, even today when I talk in 2023, it's amazing when I tell kids that they too can be a naval officer, a pilot, a doctor, um, um, uh, whatever they want to be. Um, right. And even today I get eyeballs that are large and say, oh, no, 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 Casey. You don't know where I came from. You don't know the side of the track I was born on. You don't know what I've been through. Say, I hear you. Uh, same here. But I don't. that's not an excuse. Um, somehow in their head, they think because of all these barriers in front of them that life has thrown, that that is not a path for them, that they cannot do these things. And yeah. it is false. Is it hard? Absolutely. But it is false. And what they need is people to encourage and give them Help them dream big and give them a path. Assist everyone needs help. We we cannot be successful alone. It just we just can't. We have to have help from others. And 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 I and I they have to also, by the way, see people that look like them. That is incredibly important. Uh, the equity piece to, to have a seat at the table, to know that wow, someone like that who kind of looks like me can do those things. By golly, so can I. That's okay. We should be okay with that statement. That's a good thing. Um, representation in, a, in, a, in an equitable way is important. Um, it cherishes our diversity, and, and that's an important piece, a diversity of thinking, diversity of experience, all that. So they need to see that, and I believe that I, I help provide some of that. And so that's my first dot is how do I 
continue to make an impact to the younger generation because uh, I love doing that. My second dot is my passion to work with groups that are purpose-driven, right? I, I, I love helping kids. Um, this is just my selfish part a bit is that I, I, uh, I, I have only so much time left on earth. We all do. So how do I maximize the energy that I have towards something that I believe can make a difference? Um, you know, right. so, uh, while I, uh, want to help every kid, I know that I, I won't, I can't, but I want to pick a particular subset of kids that have a certain behavior pattern and attitude that says, I want to work hard. I just need help to help someone show me how to get from here to there. So that comes from my desire to work with groups like the military, right? That have a purpose, that have passion, team, spirit, um, the higher purpose that they already come with. So what group in society has sort of those, some of those qualities? And so that came the third dot, uh, which was the kids first dot, a, a group of kids, a group of individuals in society that have made a decision that they want to achieve something big and they, they're about a team. And so the third dot is that aha moment of hmm, the closest, um, um, civilian counterparts to the military are athletes. Um, I mean, that they, they have a higher drive. They have, they have team spirit. They want to achieve something bigger. They want to put the work in to get there. So that became the aha for me to know that I wanted to start to dive in and say, what are the challenges and issues and problems that uh, student athletes face in America? And when I uh, as, as I talked to other individuals, did an incredible amount of research, it was very clear to me that the student-athlete space in America is unbelievably outdated, broken, fragmented, full of inequities for decades. So those terms should sound familiar because it sort of resonates with the astronaut journey um, and the system that is sort of lack of transparent in, in that path. So that's how I arrived at or athlete foundry. Thank you for letting me to go on and share my journey from six years old to how I got to that, uh, to athlete foundry. And what a journey it is. And uh, you know, there's a lot that I want to jump into and dive into and, and a lot that, um, I think we'll have some shared experience over in, in terms of your, uh, focus on the student athlete. Um, but before I get to that, the, Decision you made to essentially research every uh, astronaut and your pursuit of becoming an astronaut and building out a map to identify patterns, to try and determine a path for yourself to becoming an astronaut. No child or teenager, to your point, everyone needs help. Where does the guidance to take that approach, one that is so incredibly strategic, come from? Because I think that that sort of calculated, strategic you know, uh, uh, approach is probably the type of approach that got you even to a final interview. To your point, a small fraction of humanity gets the, even the opportunity to to be considered on that level. And that in itself is an achievement. So where did that come from? How, how did you kind of determine that strategic approach? Wow, no one's asked me that. That's an excellent question. I, as you're asking me, I'm trying to think of, of, how do I answer this question? Because I hadn't thought about that. And, and as, as I'm speaking here, um, I believe actually 
love my parents. They've taught me discipline. They've taught me to work hard. Uh, but as immigrants, all of, all of us, you know, their focus was always on putting food on the table, uh, keeping yeah. their kids safe because of where we grew up, uh, you know, lower income, uh, just ensuring that, that we had the essentials. I say that because they didn't know themselves. They had nowhere to start. Uh, I didn't get guidance from them in terms of this journey. It was, everything was self-taught in a sense. And I believe to answer your question, I uh, would say that my thinking was because in my journey from a young kid in San Francisco Bay Area uh, until now, quite frankly, um, uh, less moments now, of course, because of, of where I'm at in life, but I regularly faced racism um, um, and um, biases and um, uh, individuals not taking me seriously, not helping me, always putting barriers in front of me. So because I grew up with that, that those roadblocks, I had to always think on my feet. And earlier on, and I, and I believe this was somehow was just in my DNA, I think, is I either could accept that and just simply go back into the corner and sit down and be quiet or say, no, 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 I actually do belong uh, over at this location. I do belong at the table. I do have a voice. I do want to be part of this in some way. And so I had to figure out my own journey. Every time a roadblock was put in front, I had to immediately calculate the different paths to get around the roadblock over and over and over and over and I believe that is just was ingrained in me and, and, and naturally then led to uh, me mapping this whole process out because to me, I saw those as barriers. And, yeah. uh, and I believe that's how I uh, would say uh, my thinking evolved uh, to create that map. That's very interesting. And and some of what you said resonates with me as well. I mean, I've mentioned it once or twice on this podcast before, but my own parents, you know, spent a couple of years in a refugee camp outside of Italy trying to escape communist Poland before the wall went down, coming here to your point. Their story was one of establishing stability, right? Uh, both financial, you know, uh, shelters, all those things, right? To make sure that their kids could then, I was born in Canada, but um, to be able to make sure that we had, uh, you know, a stable and, and provided for life, right? And so that is fundamentally different than aspiring, for example, to become an astronaut, right? And so for, and one of the disconnects in it, because the priority was stability for my parents, right? And, you know, a lot of the careers or jobs that they would look for at, um, you know, whether they were highly specific and, and professional skill type of jobs. So my father, for example, was an, uh, an electrical engineer and that is super concrete, right? And not a, a path of education that let's say facilitates the development of like public speaking skills, negotiation skills, and all those types of skills that are like super valuable in being a successful consultant, which is what I do today, Right. And so there was like a disconnect in terms of what I was good at, right? My natural skill set with what my you know parents perceived as translating to like 
in their opinion, understanding of like a concrete, stable career, right? And so that's, to me, I'm curious because becoming an astronaut is, is, is different than that. It's, it's more concrete. Given your fa- kind of your background and the environment you came up in, when you looked at your parents, you know, maybe over the years and more consistently and seriously as like a teenager and said, no, I'm going to become a, an astronaut. This wasn't just a dream as a six-year-old. What was the response, right? And and could they understand and wrap their heads around that aspiration? Um, or was it, you know, and I guess because your father was in the military, maybe he had a better understanding of the of, of that space just because of maybe some overlap in government agencies and understanding that. But I'm, I'm curious to understand that aspect of it. Yes. Wow. That, that I would say that uh, my father, my parents, uh, because of their focus on, of course, the survivability aspect, um, yeah. you know, as I shared with them uh, what I really was destined for, my passion was, um, they certainly supported me but they really also didn't know how to wrap their head around this thing. Um, yeah. uh, that was not their background, even from India. Um, and they grew up in, in very, you know, even poorer um, locations in India. So, you know, the, there's a generational, um, uh, it's a challenge, right? It's sort of this, when you're, uh, you, a great phrase I like to use is, um, you generally represent and think like, the average of the ten people you hang around most, and I think there's a there's a study yeah. that has, has shown that. Um, so if you're in uh, nothing derogatory, negative around those, but if you're in that mentality of you know you're in the mindset of you're poor, um, you live in that environment, um, you kind of just start accepting that that's that's all that can be, um, unless yeah. something pops differently in your mind, and those occur, those moments occur, and you say no, 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 I'm going to do this other thing. Um, it is hard to, 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 um, leave that environment, that ecosystem, that mindset, uh, very challenging. So, uh, to me, that was, that was the, the audacious goal, um, was so yeah. large, um, uh, as a great book, good to great says, you know, the hairy audacious goal, uh, the hag. And, and that is, that was mine as I shared it with them. And quite frankly, my entire community and you know, everyone that we grew up with, family and friends uh, in the Central area, um, didn't think that way. Uh, I was sort of the outlier. And yeah, um, in fact, uh, earlier on, you know, my mom was of the mindset of, hey, why do you want to do that? Like, just just stay here, you know, do what everyone else is doing uh, and, and just get a stable job and everything is going to be fine. Right. That's that's just the mom part of, hey, this is really risky, challenging, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you want to do that? Just be be comfortable, get a stable job. And, and, I, and initially, of course, you think, well, why would a mom not support you? And, and as I think more about it, it's the mom's way of wanting to ensure that her son um, doesn't risk it all, if you will, and, and just yeah. has comfort because her upbringing was of discomfort. So right. she really just wanted to get stable and wanted her son to be stable is how I would view her answer as, as compared to someone else looking in from the outside would say, oh my gosh, why aren't your parents supporting you? Um, because they're, yeah. it's all about framework. I think their frame was different. Um, and, and that's just how they uh, ended up uh, responding to me. So even to the day, um, you know, they still quite couldn't get around this idea of, of being an astronaut just yet. 
um, still isn't. But uh, certainly, if I ended up making it, I think their tune was changed a little bit. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's hard to think of a more, and maybe prestige is, prestigious is the wrong word, but talk about a career or a, a, a job that is universally understood, right? You can go anywhere. And the idea of being a space person, right? Going up into space on a spaceship, that is just this fantastical thing that nearly every human on the planet has an understanding of, right? And uh, I think that it having that sort of big, hairy, audacious goal almost supersedes your environment and can serve as that singular driving force. And I find that really exciting, you know, um, to, to hear you articulate it that way. Uh, and I think that there, it takes a ton of sacrifice, but just circling back quickly to, you know, that map of kind of the commonalities and the different paths of potentially becoming an astronaut. I'm curious then, you know, going through that exercise, what were some of the common traits and to build on the question, ultimately, once you finally got to that final 120 people, did you find those common traits held true and they were in fact what made you a candidate on that final stage or were they inconsistent and it was to your point each candidate was different let's see to a couple of sub questions in in that main question that was yeah. great uh, as we unpack that a little bit i would say as i began to map this together you know i was driven by trying to one find the common things but then that actually was simply the byproduct, what I really was interested in is finding the gaps, because that tells me I could fill the gaps. What is missing and how do I fill what is missing? Because, because the pattern stuff is important, but it's not exciting. Uh, because now how do I stand out? How do I make a difference? And in fact, because of that, and I, I am of that nature anyways. I didn't just do it because of, of what my analysis was concluding, but I did it because I was excited about it. Is along my journey, uh, I began to fill some of those gaps that I actually discovered. Uh, I became a medic. I was a medic for, for almost 20 years in my community in Houston. I was a firefighter for almost 20 years. Um, why are those important? Those are related to making life and death decisions on moment's notice. Think if you're stuck in a capsule. How do you think under fire in a calm, collective way yeah. Well, I had to hone that skill. So I became a medic and I love serving community and others. That's who I am. And so I, it was a double win for me. Uh, tremendous skills as an individual, as a human, as a, as a contributor to society to walk around with those skills I felt was actually quite valuable. Um, firefighter, I became a pilot, uh, scuba diver. Um, uh, you know, you, if all the things that I believe, uh, uh, can demonstrate to someone that if in, this individual has gone through these experiences, um, the only way they would have made it out the other end is that if they yeah. could survive some of these stressful situations, et cetera, et cetera, which translate to um, uh, attractiveness as a astronaut candidate, uh, in my view. And, and so I began to play, plug those um, you know, very passionate about serving and, and I, and I'm just uh, humbled to have gone through those experiences, particularly as a medic and a firefighter have taught me as a human, uh, one to be incredibly grateful for what we have, no matter, you know, how we think about 
uh, society, vast majority of humans um, are actually not as well off as we think they are. Um, right. We are in a bubble, if you will, a little bit. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of chaos and and turmoil out there. Um, when you scratch underneath the surface, there's a lot there. And even in my own town in the Houston area, you would think, well, you know, there can't be that many issues. And, and as a medic and firefighter, I see them every single day. Um, and it's, and every day I'm surprised going, wow, I never thought I'd see that. I never thought I'd see that in my own town, um, to the degree that I saw. And it made me again, grateful for what we have every day, uh, much more humble and, uh, appreciative of where I can make a little bit of difference back to those that that made the wrong decisions early, early on. So many individuals, young age, make poor decisions that lead them down a different path. And I'm thinking, wow, that one decision at the age of 21 or 18 put him down this path of destruction almost. Um, it's just unbelievable um, of what potential is lost in society. So, um, you know, there's a there's a story of um, uh, this other piece of, you know, I'm also driven to um, always want to not tell myself if someone presents a problem or a roadblock that I cannot help. Um, I, I'm just of a mindset that I, I naturally want to help. Um, and I don't want to be put in a position where I, I'm, I don't have the skills, I can't assist in some form or fashion. So I'm always trying to teach myself other things. Um, and, and the medic story I, I share is, uh, when I was uh, eight or nine years old, if, if I recall, I was very young in San Francisco where I grew up, that area where um, in our neighbor, that particular block that we lived in was one of the worst in San Francisco, that particular area. Um, uh, you know, drug dealers, prostitutes, um, gangs, all in that corner. You come out of your, your uh, we lived in an apartment, you walk out and that's all right in front of you. That's, that's, that's what you live in. We were kids, um, and right next to my apartment, um, uh, can't make this up, of course, right next to my apartment is an adult store, um, and not the best place you want to raise kids, but um, the adult store was right next door, The and it's a 24-7 store, it, so as yeah. kids, you know, you're curious, and you you recognize the door's always open, and it's just natural. You, you pick up on these patterns, Well, one day at night, a friend of mine and I, same age, roughly eight or nine, we go out to the corner store to buy um, some ice cream or candy. We were, we were going to go purchase at night, so at 8 or 9 p.m., and we noticed the door was closed. First time. It's always open. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why is that? So it's just odd. So we went to the store, bought uh, our candy, and on the way back, uh, the door was open. We noticed that there was a gentleman laying on the floor with his hand over his heart. He had just been stabbed, uh, and he was profusely bleeding and I could vividly remember because it was it was etched in my mind that the blood was with pressure gushing out, and I could see steam coming out. Paused. It was just the two of us, my friend and I, and that's it. And this guy, and he was asking for help. I couldn't help. I was I was helpless. Um, so that feeling, and and, and within a few seconds. Um, I, some, I, I can't remember the details. I somehow sprung into action, realizing, okay, well, I got to ask for help somewhere. So in 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 America, at least, uh, back in the old days, old days being the 
you know, probably 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and maybe even 70s, we had these little 911 emergency call boxes um, on the corners of every street. It may have been in Canada as well, not sure, but um, you, you pull down the little lever and it calls 911. They don't exist anymore, but they used to exist. So I knew there was one in the corner. I run over to the corner, tiny little glass, uh, you know, break in case of fire kind of situation, break in case of emergency. Tried to break the glass. I couldn't. I had nothing to break the glass with. It's small. Um, and uh, believe it or not, a, a uh, prostitute who was at the corner asked me what I was doing. I'm glad she did. I said, I, the man's been stabbed over there. I'm trying to help break this glass. And, and you know, to her credit, she took her shoe off with the heel, broke it with the heel, called him. And unfortunately, of course, it was too late. But... Um, those things you just can't make up. I mean, those are just stories yeah. that really now resonate with me. And, and that was, I believe, fundamental, another fundamental change in my mind of, I don't ever want to be put in a spot where I'm helpless. Um, that taught me. And so I was driven to learn and uh, teach myself skills that I believe could be helpful as a, as a member of society uh, at moments like this. Um, so coming back to now full circle, I think to your question, you know, as I look at the patterns, what are those things that I see? Um, and I saw those gaps. So I started to fill those gaps uh, that I mentioned, um, in an individual, the, the common things that you see, um, I saw in the application or the, in the astronaut, uh, population was certainly the, uh, advanced degrees, um, and, uh, pilot, uh, flying. So whether you're a, a military pilot is obvious you're a pilot in the military, but if you're a civilian, um, most of them had some sort of small plane, um, private pilot's license. Right. But, but that was kind of the extent, you know, there was really nothing else. Again, it was so, um, deflating, <laughs> disappointing to see that, that now you might have a few here and there that just were, Wow person has like eight things that are just unbelievable uh, but they were really the exception than the norm and when i sat down with my my 20 my group of 20 that became friends in our cohort um i, I great human beings um but it was not consistent what i found um there was this sort of in, again inconsistency of backgrounds um and very um uh, not, not average, not average in a, in an average, average sense, but an average of a candidate average sense. I, I was, I was, it wasn't this, oh my gosh, wow. It was, wow, that's awesome. What a great story you have. What a great journey you have. What a great, everyone had a great journey, but there was not this monumental, this person is unbelievable. They're all great people. Yeah. That, that's not intended to be the spoken that way, but um, essentially indicating, Hey, I was right. First of all, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Um, I, that type of life experience at such an early age um, could so profoundly shape a perspective, as you mentioned, and, and in such a powerful way and in a positive way to never want, you know, to say that I never want to be helpless again, right? And, and, and to be, and that's not just to be able to help yourself, but to help others. I think as a lens to live, uh, your life through is, is an incredibly powerful one. Right. 
And then when specifically applied to then thinking as to the types of skills and experiences to accrue to become a candidate for, you know, let's call it one of the most exclusive jobs in, in history, right? It, it's, it probably is, is, a, is an accelerative one. So I, I find that, you know, particularly interesting that even the moments in your life that were out of your control, let's say, right, that, you know, through physics or otherwise fell, fell in, a, a, across your, a, a, your feet, uh, they still kind of channeled you in the direction of, of this, uh, of your ultimate goal, which is, which is an, a, a really interesting thing. And, you know, from there though, also to comment on, <laughs> and, and you're going to have to explain this one to me because to be a, you know, an engineer at NASA, a successful one at that, to be in the military, in the Navy and deployed, um, on multiple occasions to then also be a medic, a firefighter, uh, achieve a pilot's license, become a certified scuba diver. I'm struggling to understand how all of that happens because, you know, it's one thing for somebody to tell me, it's like, yeah, I work a corporate job. I also have a podcast or a startup or, you know, I coach a team or whatever. It's like, you can do a lot of that stuff in the middle of the night and make progress. You can't be a medic or a firefighter or a pilot or a scuba diver from the safety of your own home on a computer, right? So you like, how does one achieve all of that while navigating a job like at NASA where, you know, you are impacting multi-billion dollar initiatives uh, and ones that have human life involved? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you're reminding me of, of the, those years of, of, pain um yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah i would say wow excellent question i would say um uh, in, commitment sure yeah incredible support and um determination um and so i would say the the commitment first is making the decision nothing happens without the decision um you know we all uh, have van grandiose ideas in our mind. I want to do this. I want to do that. There's a very um, critical difference between ideas and execution. And and as you know, as you can appreciate that uh, in your business of you know, there's a lot of good idea fairies, the, the tons yeah. of them. And and you know, we need some of them, but there's a very small population of executionists, the, the practitioners, the execution. Once you decide something, actually rolling up your sleeves, doing whatever it takes, pain will happen. How do you get through that pain, mental, physical, whatever it might be, to get through the other end is the difference between the average and the, and the winners. I mean, I do believe that. You know, there's a subtle difference, just like in any, any athletic game, uh, race, the difference between first place, second place is micros of a second, uh, is uh, milliseconds. That's it. That's, That's it. right. That's all it is. A tiny amount. So those micro habits, and there's a, there's another book of I think uh, micro habits is what it's called, but um, or habits is what it's called. But it's these micro habits. If you can consistently execute these tiny little habits, um, it will absolutely make the world different difference in where you're going to end up versus everybody else. So. To me, one was uh, I had to make that mind up. I'm in it. It's it's uh, not knowing how hard it was going to be until I got in. But that once I'm in, I fell back to that first comment I made at the beginning, which is I'm stubborn. So 
Yeah. I committed and I'm going to be stubborn. Once I made my mind up, I, I, I have a hard time telling myself, stop. I just, yeah. I, I, I can't do it. Um, I'm going to continue. So commitment is one support. I will tell you, God bless my bride. She is unbelievable rock star. Um, I would say probably close on a couple of occasions for a divorce, but <laughs> um, before kids was probably key to everything you said of doing. Yeah. I would certainly say was was fundamentally important that time frame because I absolutely stressed the system um, and the relationship. She fully supported um, but you know, there's also a time where you push someone so far. And so we, there was, there were moments of, of, of tension significant, um, yeah. but we work through those things. And so she continued to support and continues to, to recognize that, that, uh, great things only come with those who make great sacrifices. And this is what it takes for us to do that. And as a team, uh, which we are, otherwise none of this would, would be possible. Quite frankly. Yeah. So, um, so it was the commitment, the incredible support from family first, her fundamentally number one. Um, and then my NASA system, of course, my team, um, you know, I fulfilled every one of my commitments always, always, always above and beyond. Um, and so I, I never let my team down, uh, did whatever it took to ensure that, that we were successful as a NASA team, um, so that they can then support my other uh, ambitions. So, uh, in the case of, Firefighter and medic, those were evening things. So, uh, you know, going to school, uh, evening school after work, um, you have to do a t ton of hours of, of clinical hours. Um, guess what? I went to work from, you know, 6, 7 a.m. to uh, I generally worked about 10 hours at NASA, maybe more, 12 sometimes um, regularly. And so I would work until 6-ish p.m., get in the car, go straight to the hospital, get on shift at, at seven, let's say, end until 5 a.m., um, go home, shower up, and go back to work. Um, so essentially, uh, I forgot to add the fourth is probably don't sleep. <laughs> but um, I, I think I know that one a little bit too well. <laughs> um, I just had to power through. Um, those were very long times. And, um, uh, and then on the firefighter piece, of course, um, and medic. Once I got certified, those were evening shifts again, um, evenings and weekend shifts, um, trying to occupy every every space that I could, and um, uh, and so that's that's how I, I did it. So it was commitment, support, uh, and then um, um, uh, determination was was back to that um, first point I made earlier of of me being stubborn is that determination. Once I'm in it, I'm going to continue. I got to get through the other end and I got to be successful um, because I, I, there was no other path for me. Once, once I'm through the door, I'm going to come all the way through. I, I mean, that resonates so very deeply with, for, to me uh, and with me just because I, I, I myself consider myself a, a binary individual where I'm either a one or a zero with an, with an activity, right? I'm, I'm either all in or I'm all out. And um, I, I, it often feels like a waste of time to be anything in between. So uh, I think that resonates with me deeply, but I mean, I was going to ask you what progression through NASA looked like and how, th you know, the things that accelerated you through as you uh, kind of progressed in your career there. But it's obvious as you articulate that if you're an individual who's simply willing to do anything to succeed and make impact, 
I, I don't know that there's much more detail needed beyond that. And instead, I think I'll pivot to a question that, you know, has sparked interest in me as individuals who have become astronauts or individuals who have their eyes and their life's work set on something like spaceflight. It is often articulated by them that it is a perspective shifting um, pursuit because it is so much greater than the conflict that happens down here on Earth. And whether you're looking at, um, you know, video feed or images or you're actually up in space looking down on Earth, right? When you're constantly looking up at the stars and then you're able to see Earth in perspective of, of the greater cosmos, let's call it, you know, it. I always hear like th- this, this notion of uh, wanting the, the humanity on Earth to simply unite, right? A- 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 and I guess my question is centers around: Did you find a conflict with internally of you know serving in in for example the military where you're directly connected to some of the conflict uh, on on the on Earth, right? But while your life's work and purpose is looking up past Earth, uh, it feels like this duality that that would have a hard time coexisting. And I'm curious what that was like and how you were able to rationalize across those two pursuits. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating viewpoint. Uh, I can tell you today, if I were at NASA, um, uh, because of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, uh, unfortunately. Uh, because in my past, uh, I had worked very closely with Russia because we obviously jointly yeah, have a space exactly. station. It's a uniting it thing. Um, and uh, at the time, of course, there was no uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. And so we didn't have to worry about those issues. Um, uh, focusing on the technical aspect, uh, very much enjoyed working with my technical counterparts and the Russian space agency. Yeah. Um, what I learned is it's a great viewpoint. I, I would say... <clears throat> absolutely my vantage point and i think there's which is a rare in the sense is because there's only a few of us that have those dualities um there are other reservists military reservists at nasa um not just navy but army and air force and, and so forth um so this would apply to them as well for the most part um you know i was able to compartmentalize the two um that was just a, a trait that I, I had to make a decision. You know, everything was, um, you know, as I uh, progressed in, in life in many aspects, because of these very um, segregated ecosystems I lived in, the firefighter, the medic, uh, I saw very different views of life through those lens. Each one was so unique and different that I just naturally had to compartmentalize everything, all of them. Otherwise, it was it was paralyzing. I could right. not make any progress uh, to to the point of um, when I first got to Iraq, very first day or second day, I think it was maybe second day. Just got to Iraq second day and and was almost taken out by a missile. Um, welcome to combat. You know, did not anticipate. First time in my life getting that close to actually dying and realizing, wow, um, did I leave life? Did I leave my family in a in a in a way that I feel content? Um, we we all don't choose when we leave Earth, but um, I didn't expect it to be so soon. Um, if that 
if that luckily did not happen, but um, was I okay with not walking my daughters down the aisle? Was I okay with leaving my family? Did I say what I needed to say? And I had to that moment because the deployment had just started. There was more coming, more of those events, more of those um, potential close encounters coming. I had to make a moment decision there of um, I'm either going to be content with with the decisions I've made and I'm, and I'm going to focus on my mission because if you're focused on, on almost dying every single day and, and being worried, you'll never get anything done. Just, you're just so, conf- you're just so afraid and, and perplexed and, and frozen. Nothing will happen. I had to make a choice. I'm either going to be stuck in this frozen world or I'm going to rec- you know, say, Hey, Hey, it's my time. It's my time. Let's move on. Um, and yeah. I made that latter decision. Um, because I had been compartmentalizing things in my life. Um, now that I say this all along, otherwise yeah. I could not make any progress. So I, I had to separate everything. And, you know, I would say a lot, most of NASA employees, um, because of the jobs that we did, were so uh, by nature, I believe that, you know, you have to come in with a very um, open mind of what is out there. Um, right. Otherwise, I mean, are there those in NASA that probably believe we are the only thing? Probably. I mean, we're humans. There's, there are probably a few of those. It makes me think going, wait a second. That's sort of contrary to what, where you're at. Yeah. But that's human. That's it. We're all humans. It's okay that they think that way. But um, for the most part, it, it what's, be- what's beautiful, I believe, and majestic and, and exciting um, about the NASA piece is that we are so focused on, I would say a little bit of that one and zero mentality, like your father, um, right? The, the engineering aspect removes drama for the most part. There's going to be some, um, because we have interpretations of safety, for example, is this safe enough, right? That's, so we get into those arguments. Well, those are good arguments to have actually, that's but that's the kind of arguments and discussions and the emotions that come out are when we start to debate those things. You know, is this safe enough? You didn't consider enough failure scenarios, and we are only two steps from killing an astronaut potentially. You know, in this design, and, and so now we debate about that. Those are actually good debates, healthy debates. But we don't have the other drama that the rest of society is, is sort of toying with um, and, and, and is plagued with because we have all come together recognizing we have one common purpose. One higher purpose is to get humans safely to space, safely home to their family. And if we, we unite around that, nothing else really matters. It's around that one common goal. And, and we don't have personal agendas, et cetera, because we know that one thing we got to do. That's so exciting about getting around a team like that is that we have that one goal. Um, and we can all debate and discuss about how to achieve that goal, but it's always that goal. Nothing else really matters. So uh, there is a little bit, a lot of that, I would say, one and zero concept of, of engineering. And, yeah. and that's good because right, it's either human made or it's physics. We're kind of sitting in the physics yeah. world. And, yeah. and it's, it isolates us, if you will, from uh, other chaos around the, around the world because it's comfort to us, right? We know, hey, uh, E is MC squared. We know that is the equation. That's like, what are you going to debate? <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it gives us, I think, comfort as, as, uh, as engineers and scientists 
uh, when we when we uh, think of problems and solutions from that from that lens. Incredibly fascinating, and you know, across your different identities and, and kind of careers, you know, I, I and I think back to a comment that you mentioned about like the the difference being uh, on an order of like seconds, right? I think between success and failure, let's say, and and I think to an interview I did with a veteran of, uh, you know, Formula One motorsports, and he was, you know, playing a lead role across some famous uh, F1 teams. But to, to, to extrapolate to that, like the difference between, you know, pole position and last is like uh, less than a second and a half or less than a second in today's F1 world, right? And it's like, if you think about the difference between a successful launch and a failed one, it could be, you know, thousands or ten thousands of a percentage of failure in in some item right and so when we talk about the stakes and the risk um we talk about the billions of dollars again at stake with every decision the human life at stake and then also in the military right with every decision you make on the open battlefield right open combat impacts you your teammates right progress of the mission um circling back to nasa human progress beyond earth, right? Like the, the, the stakes here are, are incredibly huge. And it sounds like, and I may be extrapolating here, but this idea that you're able to unite around a purpose quiets the noise of the stakes and the stress that might come with that. And so I wonder if, if that is a key um, learning that you are now imparting on, on these athletes as part of the athlete foundry, because for somebody who's 14, 15, 16 years old, or maybe playing at the NCAA level, right, let's say, or even at a more amateur level prior to high school, right, the idea of like the last, a last second shot, right, or uh, overtime in any game, let's say, or whatever the case is, those are the stakes that they're dealing with that feel life-ending in that moment. But you're, how are you able to impart that perspective, that that those are actually such small stakes in the grander scheme of things and being purpose-driven around trying to win, trying to be a better athlete, like those things should be able to quiet that noise. Or I, I'm curious to understand the messaging there. Wow, yeah. I, so uh, two couple of parts to that, I would say. In general, I, uh, where I thought you might be going, and, and I'm going to answer it, uh, where I thought you might be going because I think it's relevant is... I'd love it, the, yeah. Because uh, I, I have used it in, in prior talks, and, and that is... Uh, across industries, no matter where you might be, what organization, a small team, a large team, anywhere, you know, what are, and this is not, this is not, uh, you know, rocket scientists, if, if you will, from that perspective, but what is one method strategy that, that puts all the drama aside or an attempt at least that puts the drama aside. And that really is bringing people together towards a common purpose I know it sounds simple. It's actually quite challenging to do. Um, but if any team, any organization, anywhere in the world, I don't care what size company, organization, nonprofit, profit, club, if the leader can bring that together very clearly, um, it will present an incredible return on investment in, in, the, in the end for that team. Because you can't shed you know, inside of all of us, there's little bits of drama in all of us. Uh, and so it's there, but you got to put it aside to get to that purpose, to get to the mission. And that requires that charismatic or very clear leader 
um, that people can rally behind towards that one purpose. Um, and if we can all do that, um, it is the feeling is unbelievable when people come together towards that common issue because because people you know truly that want and believe that will naturally just you know put aside all the other things that are going on because they're so driven by that one thing that is that all rally behind so incredible uh, I would say uh, skill in any organization to bring people towards that common goal and and making that common goal higher purpose right it, 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 which is a challenge how do you how do you say well today we're going to have the best accounting books possible um wow that just was not sounding exciting at all <laughs> so the having that higher how do you make it a higher purpose um is important because people get people get rallied and excited about that um to your point of you know instilling it to student athletes so our platform you know we are self uh, I'll, I'll give a little plug for our platform. What it really is, is providing yeah. student athletes and parents who are at the center of our universe, if you will, at Athlete Foundry. We design everything around that uh, um, understanding is that they are at the middle, not the coaches, not the teachers, not the counselors. They are all enablers and, and absolutely should be part of every student's success team because you need that support. But it's about the parents. So we provide parents, student athletes, a 6th to 12th grade roadmap, most comprehensive roadmap to help them build what we call their most comprehensive ath-humademic resume, which is the three pillars we define every child into, athletic, human, academic. It's the holistic picture to do a couple things. One, increase their odds to be a collegiate athlete in, in the U.S. at highest division level down to junior college. doesn't matter where. Dream big, build options, and there's a path for you somewhere. It, it may not be the D1. That's okay. I'm personally a fan of D2 and D3, quite frankly. Uh, they're also a junior college, and then you could transfer to four years. So if you've made the mind up that you want to be a collegiate athlete and earn the privilege of wearing a uniform on campus, feeling special as you should, um, there's a spot for you somewhere. I absolutely believe that. We believe that uh, in, in Athlete Foundry. Um, and number two, ultimately, is to help you be a prepare, to be a much better productive citizen once you enter society because sports will end when that comes, what do you do? Um, so, you know, we've done a, a, an incredible amount of research uh, throughout the years and years from collegiate coaches to super uh, teachers, counselors, superintendents of school systems, uh, 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 you name it. Uh, we've, we've done an incredible amount of research, interviewed lots of people, hundreds of parents of student athletes, current, former, etc. And common, common things we find uh, in here are, uh, well, you know, parents saying something like, uh, my, my coach will help me. Uh, we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out along the way. Those are all recipes for disaster usually. Um, so, but that's the natural inclination. And, uh, and then student athletes, you know, who do get to college, let's say at the end of that fourth year, very last month of college, they say, well, it's about to end here. What do I do now? I didn't think about this moment. It snuck up on me. No, it didn't really sneak up on you. Uh, we all say that, but um, they wait till the very last minute to say, what do I do now? And, you know, I really don't like the major that I majored in, but I was kind of forced to it because my coach sort of wink, wink, nod, nod, said I should major because it's easier on my schedule. Hey, that yeah. coach just made millions of dollars. Excellent, coach. You just screwed Yeah. Unfortunately, that happens today, day in, day, every single day today. It's happening. Um, it happens, unfortunately. But what we want is... 
We want to create intelligent athletes. We want to create ones that are thinking on their feet creatively early, early on, right? So it's about planning years in advance and thinking um, about these simple little uh, elements of their future in a holistic picture, which is what our roadmap does. It, it By the time they get to 12th grade, they've already been thinking about some of these things that most kids aren't even thinking about yet. Um, so they can make more intelligent decisions. Uh, so we... Um, we certainly at this point, our platform, because it's all self-managed, self-operated uh, by the family, it's a, it's a, a tool that we provide uh, to families to put in their palm of their hand so they can um, you know, execute this, this journey from the roadmap perspective, capture stats and training data. All the data is in there, academic data they can put in there, and it really helps them ensure that they don't, one, miss a single step because that is disastrous. Uh, we've had lots of lot of parents that don't know and then when they do finally start to get engaged at the end of high school, realize, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. I wish I had started earlier. I can tell you how many times I've heard that phrase. And so we take that guesswork out of, out of uh, their head and help them so that they can actually um, share the great progress that their kids make year after year after year after year. Think of a stock market, anything with a trend. We as humans love trends. We like to see where did something start? Where is it today? And therefore, guess what? I can mentally project a future. That's who we are, right? Past, current, future. Well, college coaches do not have a tool other than Athlete Foundry that first came around that allows them to, for the first time ever, peek behind the curtain and see the history of a child because millions of kids play sports around America. Tiny fraction are going to be the next Michael Jordans, the next uh, players that we all may see in news. 0.01%. But guess what? There's 80, 90% of kids that are all hardworking. They're good kids. They're hardworking. They may not be the starter, may not even be the second string, but they're hardworking. They're getting after it. They're being athletic. They're training, all those things. Well, how do I share that story that I'm developing? I'm growing. I'm improving myself. I am valuable. And vast majority of college coaches in America um, recognize that what they're really looking for is a kid that's coachable, that will fit well with their team and uh, has, guess what, future potential, right? If they could all find the, the student athlete that is ready to go on moment one at a high, high level, I'm sorry, that doesn't exist. There's very few of those. That's not the point of college athletics. That's pro. College athletics, they're still kids. They're growing. They're learning. They're going to make mistakes. The point is, how do I get a kid and recognize has future potential? Well, that means I need to know the past, right? So now a student athlete who maybe not has the money to get to all the events, they're expensive, right? It's a, yeah. it's a hugely, uh, the youth athletic system in America, well-documented, Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, et cetera. The gap between the have and have-nots is extensive and growing further and further. You know, to be able to go to these camps, to travel, pick up, Pack your kids, go in an airplane, which happens a lot, and go tournament to tournament to tournament. Guess what? Most Americans cannot do that. Very few do. Uh, well, guess what? Does that mean that the majority of kids who cannot are done? No. In today's system, they are because they don't have a fair way to share their progress and say, look, coach, I may not be the number one player. I'm in small town America, maybe. No one really knows me, but man, look what I've done from the past. I wasn't that good. Year after year, 
I practice, I continued, I grow, I grew, I focused on my holistic picture. Here's where I am today. So past, current, and now therefore, coach, you as a smart coach can project future potential. Bingo, right? Now I can properly evaluate as a coach which kids make sense for my program and how I can select them because I have more information of their story. Never existed before. So that is what we're after is to really let every kid know that they, if they're determined and they put the work in and they capture it on our platform, they're actually able to share this new story of theirs chapter by chapter, meaning year by year with coaches that actually for the first time, the coaches will say, absolutely, I'm interested in seeing that. And that's what they've all told us is that they very much would welcome access to this extra data so they can actually determine better decisions. Uh, and what we've done fundamentally then is we've actually opened up coaches lens for recruiting to the entire nation instead of just through a straw hole because they look at just certain key yeah. spots in America. We now give them an entire aperture. And so that's that's the disruption that we are on the verge of making. I think that's uh, incredibly powerful and particularly something that resonates with me as you know, I mentioned to you in, in our previous chat that I co-founded a prep school and training academy here focused on basketball in, in the Toronto area in Canada. And one thing that has been a massive challenge uh, over the first kind of five years of our um, organization's life is just trying to get the partnership from parents that is needed, right, to get to, to have that holistic success for the athlete. And there's, you know, this pervasive mentality that we've, that I've observed that, you know, once you've picked the program, the, it's, up, it's up to the coaches and the academic advisors and the teachers, and they, it, they're now accountable for my, my kid's success. But that's such a small part of the equation. To your point, those are the enablers where it is foundationally the parents at the center. And I think um, giving that perspective at the, you know, at that grade six level, for example, well before they've had the opportunity to miss on so many critical things, like you said, and getting to that senior year, junior year, and realizing that it's now going to take disproportionate amounts of work to correct, or it might even be too late to your point, I think is an incredibly powerful and worthwhile pursuit. And I mean, talk about an impactful way to redirect your life's purpose, right? From uh, you know, looking beyond the stars to, to co coming back down here to earth, but impacting humans on such a um, significant level, I think, especially because when we think about athletes and the mentality and work ethic and some of the disproportionate success that athletes have in professional careers after athletics, to your point, I've talked to numerous people on this podcast that are executives now of big companies that were Olympians or NCAA athletes or, you know, had that competitive edge. And it was a differentiator and accelerator for them because it has discipline, hard work, right? Overcoming adversity, teamwork, all these things that are so massively transferable in the professional world, regardless of industry. Um, I, I just think that uh, what you've built and what you are pursuing with Athletic Foundry is not only incredibly worthwhile, but just immensely impactful. And uh, it's exciting to hear, you know, that sort of um, organization with that sort of purpose out there uh, that is so complementary to something that is near and dear to my heart and kind of and what we try and aspire to in the prep world and training academy world. So beyond that, you know, um, 
just huge thank you to your openness to jumping on the podcast and chatting because what an incredible conversation. I mean, uh, the richness of the learnings coming out of this, I think, again, immediately transferable to anyone's career in any industry and just an incredibly interesting and diverse conversation. So huge thank you for your time and willingness to share. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. I love talking about um, the trials and tribulations that I yeah. continue to go through. And, you know, we all get punched in the face every day, metaphorically. And and uh, it's uh, as, as I certainly haven't made up all these nice adages and phrases. I love to use them um, because they, they resonate with me, though. You know, it's, it's not about courses. Uh, as an adage says, it's not about how hard you get punched. It's it's how hard can you get back up and get right back yeah. after it. So um, uh, because that's how progress can be made. Um, but we all do need help. And so never be uh, shameful, bashful about asking for help in a professional um, and respectful way so you can help each other out. Um, and so it, it is uh, um, I cannot uh, do anything that I'm doing alone. And, and whether it's my family system uh, my network at Navy, my network uh, at NASA, um, just treating people with respect um, is, is such yeah. an important piece, um, that word. Um, it is such simple yet underused word um, is because we all come from different f- facts and facets of life that I don't know what is going through your shoes. Um, and, and and I don't want to make assumptions um, and judge. You know, there may be something horrible that has happened to uh, an individual you're talking to. Maybe they, they just they found out some news that you didn't know about, and that's what's leading to them. Why, why are they cranky? Why are they, um, instead of being argumentative, you know, don't know what's happening today, but hey, let's let's calm down. Let's have a, let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. What is going on? Uh, let's get through this together. But um, I love, love sharing and talking this is excellent uh i wish i had more coffee um but (laughs) thank you peter for the opportunity actually to be on your podcast you have an incredible list of uh, folks um that have been on and so i'm I'm actually just fortunate to be considered um part of that uh, list here once we go live with the with the podcast so thank you peter it's been a pleasure thank you very much